Welcome to the weekly podcast at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church. My name is Doc Hollingsworth. I'm senior pastor of this great congregation, and we're delighted that you've joined us. Our prayer for you is that as you listen to this message, you might feel closer to God and closer to God's hope for you. Our scripture this morning is the parable of the sower from Matthew's gospel. I'm reading from chapter 13, the first nine verses, then picking up again in verse 18 through 23. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path. The birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what was sown on the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet yet such such a person has no root but endures only for a while. And when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. As for what was sown among thorns... This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. You all know that the Bible did not just plop down out of the sky with a, uh, in a, a leather binding with an index and the words of Jesus in red. It, it, was a, it was years of prayerful decisions about which ancient writings of the church were inspired, which ones were not. You may know that the Catholic version of the Bible includes a few more uh, books than the Protestant version does. A lot of debate, a lot of back and forth. But then once you've decided on which books go in, you have to make a decision about the order to put the books in. Do you put them in, in the order written? If so, our New Testament would probably start with James and then First and Second Thessalonians. No, not, not chronological. So the decision was made to start the New Testament 
with the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But now you have to put them in order. Now, now why did they choose that order? For instance, if Mark was likely the first one written, why not start with Mark? If Luke is volume one of Luke-Acts, a two-volume work, then why not put Luke last so it flows directly into Acts? Why separate it with John? Well, let's just say that disagreements in church business meetings have been going on for a very long time. But Matthew is likely the first book of the New Testament because it, is, it, it builds a Jewish bridge. Matthew is written to a Jewish audience, and it's presenting Jesus as the weighted Messiah. And because Matthew is a bridge from the Old Testament scriptures, it's flavored with all kind of Old Testament references, reference to fulfillments, and so Matthew is chosen to bat lead off. You have heard it was said, but I say unto you. See, that's Matthew. You've heard, but now. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the Lord by the prophet. That's Matthew. But out of this heritage of Jewish law, Matthew can sound rather stringent at times, legalistic, even judgmental. In Matthew, good trees are separated from bad trees. Houses built on rock, houses built on sand. It's either or. There's not much gray area in Matthew. No grading on the curve here. In Matthew, you choose God or you choose mammon. Sheep, goats, pearls, swine, narrow gate, wide gate. You choose this or you choose that. It can sound kind of legal and hard. We meet John the Baptist in Matthew's gospel. And when we meet him, he's breathing fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear the threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then we come across today's parable. And and, and there's a guy with a seed sack just slinging seed all willy-nilly all over the hillside. And it's a strange contrast. Some seeds will hit good ground, some won't, whatever. A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, but birds ate it. Some fell on the gravel. It sprouted quickly. It didn't put down roots. Sun came up, withered. Some fell on the weeds. It came up. It was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on the good earth. It produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams, whatever. Now, there's space here to be a little critical of the farming techniques, right? I mean, in the day of Jesus, they didn't have fancy irrigation systems or John Deere tractors, but still they knew something about plowing and watering and precision. Modern farmers do their best to minimize waste so that profits will be larger. Surely the ancient farmers in a scarcer economy cared a lot about minimizing the waste. 
You plant wheat. You just don't sling around a bunch of seeds and hope for a miracle. You work hard. You implement best practices. You get up early. You care for the tender shoots. You water. You tend. You just don't sling seeds and then go back and get under the covers and hope there's a miracle harvest. But few things are more exhausting, more deflating than tending to a garden that just seems to not produce anything. All my life I've been able to make my circumstances better by working harder. If my grades were lagging, I would study more. And guess what? My grades would come up. There was a correlation. The harder I worked, the better things got. Early in career with two small children, married to an elementary school teacher. It was tough to make ends meet. I moonlighted for a while. I would take a second job to make ends meet. When tough, when things get tough, you just work harder. It changes the outcome for the better. Only you and I know that that's one of the lies of the culture. There's some things we cannot fix by working harder. I know some people who have three jobs and can't make it. I have pastor friends who have attended every seminar, read every book on growing the church, and they get up and they work hard, and people still don't attend. I have some friends who have spent their whole life committed to building up their small business. After hours, they're doing paperwork late into the night. They put their heart and soul into this new company. And now it looks like they may go under. The reason is not because they didn't keep up with the times. The reason is not because they didn't work hard or honorably. Their best attempts at plowing and planting and watering and fertilizing may still result in no harvest at all. That can feel helpless. As I said, I'm I'm more accustomed to being able to work and fix it. If there's no harvest, you do something. But how do we handle it if we just keep trying, keep doing, keep planting, and our seeds just fall on the ground where nothing grows? You probably noticed that I took this sermon title from the from a line from Reinhold Niebuhr's simple prayer that he wrote in the 1930s, the Serenity Prayer, which is known to most of us. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things that I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Every harvest depends on a lot of factors. I'm only one of those factors. There are things I can change. There are things I can't change. And the the sower in this parable seems to trust that that is true. He has a vital role to play, but that's not where the real miracle happens. God is the one who brings the rain and the sun, the nutrient and the holy magic that makes a harvest happen. He seems to know that some won't sprout, 
but some of his efforts will grow 30, 60, 100 fold. God is the difference maker. Some of you right now are growing tomatoes at home, and I wanted to let you all know that our office is open for deliveries on some of those. But in our shorthand, we we say to each other, I'm growing my own tomatoes. Well, you are not. You bought a plant from Home Depot and stuck it in the ground. Who's really growing the tomatoes? Now, now credit where credit's due, if you had not stuck that plant in the ground, you would not have tomatoes to bring to your pastor. But the growth, the harvest, it's God's work. We have a role to play, but every harvest depends on a lot of factors that are frankly out of our control. Alcoholics Anonymous and other addicted communities have adopted this serenity prayer because those communities know that there are things they have no power over, like their addiction. They know that the first step to serenity is coming to peace with what they can change and what they can't change. It's just so hard to admit in our self-sufficiency that there are things I do not have the power to control. I'm just so impressed by my accomplishments and what I have achieved by staying up late and working hard. As I said, the sower in today's parable is just out there, just willy-nilly slinging seeds around. But there is a grace in this story for me. In in all of Matthew's harsh either-or sheep goats, God mammon, there is a recognition in this parable that ultimately it is God who brings our harvest We do our best, we sling our seeds, we play our role, we work hard, but it is God who takes some of our imperfect work and multiplies it 30, 60, 100 fold. The truth is I might find more serenity in my life if I could trust more that it is not my, primarily my efforts but rather the God of growth and harvest. That at best, I am the one who slings seeds. Last week, I had a meeting with a group of friends in Atlanta. We sat outside, six feet apart. wasn't until we all got settled and distanced that we took down our mask. It was a diverse group, men and women, black and white, corporate and nonprofit. We were talking about the size of the Atlanta challenge with regard to race. And of course, Atlanta has in so many ways been in the lead in this conversation since the 1960s. But we sat in despair, despair over the recent weeks and wondering if our puny little attempts that a reconciled world could really make a difference. There were some really high-powered fixers in this group, some corner office business champions, some I'll take care of it, I'll get it done kind of folks. And still we sat, all of us, wondering if our work matters. 
But besides, many of our attempts, our attempts to help only make things worse. We say things that we intend to be helpful. It's taken to be offensive. Why even try? So we're wallowing in the size of the problem when one of the black members of the group said to all of us, she said, you know, I believe that imperfect action is always better than perfect inaction. Well, I'd been working on this sermon that morning before I went to the meeting. I drove back from that meeting with with this parable ringing around in my head and also the words of my friend. And I I thought, you know, the guy in the parable was, was a really bad farmer in so many ways. Just slinging those seeds all over the place. And yet by the miracle of God, those seeds multiplied 30, 60, 100 fold. So we keep at it. We keep working hard. We keep having difficult conversations. We keep sowing seeds. We keep doing our best. But with the humility that our hard work is not the key. God is the God of growth and harvest. God is the only one who has the holy magic to take a a peach pit and grow a peach. I can spit out a little black watermelon seed on the ground, but God is the only one who has the power to make a watermelon out of it. Imperfect action is always better than perfect inaction. And sometimes God will take our imperfect action and multiply it 30, 60, 100 fold to the glory of God. Thanks for joining us. If you live in the Atlanta area or visiting Atlanta, come and worship with us in person on Sundays at Second Ponce de Leon Baptist Church.